Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. It is such a joy to be with you this morning as we gather to worship our great God. Welcome to Southern Hills Evangelical Free Church. If we haven't met yet, my name's Dirk Jaspers. I have the joy of serving as one of the elders here. And I would love to meet you, especially if you're new after the service. I'll be in the back. Please stop by, say hi. I would love to hear what's brought you here this morning, to answer any questions you may have about our church, or more importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we'd love to visit with you after the service. If you would now please turn in your Bibles to our passage this morning, John 6. It's found on pages 837 through 839 in the Pew Bibles. There are Pew Bibles in front. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to have the Word of God, so you are welcome to take one as a gift from us if you don't have your own. Our passage this morning begins with a beautiful story of the abundant life that Jesus brings. It's a picture of Him bringing miraculous life to bear. And His approval ratings were never higher than at the beginning of John 6. And yet by the end of John 6, as we'll see, not only do we see the heights of Jesus' glory, but we also see the depths of human rejection. By the end of the story, Jesus' approval ratings have never been lower. And so this passage confronts each of us with a call, a call to believe in Jesus, the bread of life, and so to find life through Him. And yet it also confronts us with warnings of the dangers of misunderstanding Jesus and stumbling over Jesus. So let us now stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Let us hear God's Word as it speaks to us of Christ. It's a long passage, like last week, and so if you need to stay seated as we go, that is okay. But we believe that the Scriptures teach that we are to devote ourselves to the public reading of His Word. And since all of this goes together, we're going to read all of it together. God's Word says this, John 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, 
How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This passage is a long passage, as you well know from standing through it. But it is a long passage that, as with most of John's Gospel last week, and as we'll see in the next few chapters, involves events that take place, the feeding of the 5,000 that are directly connected to Jesus' words in the back half of the gospel, the back half of the chapter. And so what we see here is that Jesus shows himself to be the source of life, that he brings abundant life. And he shows us this through the feeding of the 5,000. But that this life that Jesus brings is greater than they understand at the beginning of the chapter and only comes through him. And so Jesus is the one who brings life, and he calls us to believe in him that we might have that life. The emphasis on Jesus as the one who brings abundant life, abundant blessing, shines forth in the first section, verses 1-14, through 14, in the feeding of the 5,000. We read at the beginning of the chapter that Jesus had gone to the Sea of Galilee, verse 1, and a large crowd was following him, verse 2. Why was this large crowd following him? John tells us it was because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So this is a crowd that had seen Jesus' miracles, the healing that he brought, and they wanted to experience that same healing for themselves. It doesn't say that they were following him because they loved his teaching. It doesn't say they were following him because they believed he was sent from the Father. It doesn't say they were following him because he was... The Messiah, the Savior and Lord, they were trusting in. It says they were following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. 
And that'll be important because as, we, as we'll see, they fundamentally misunderstand who Jesus is. But Jesus is up on the mountain and the disciples come and all this, we're told, verse 4, is against the backdrop of Passover, the highest holy day in the Old Testament for God's people, a time when they remembered the blessings of salvation that God had brought to them. And so Jesus sees them coming and He tests Philip. He says, Philip, look at all those people. Where are we going to buy bread so that they can eat? And Philip says, well, even if we had 200 denarii, we would just barely be able to feed a little bit to each one of them. And then Andrew, another disciple, says to Jesus, he's like, well, we've got this one little kid here. He's got five loaves and two fish, but that's not going to feed thousands and thousands of people. And then Jesus says to them, have the people sit down. Jesus is not intimidated by the lack of food. Instead, we're told that they sit down in the grass, that there were about 5,000 men and likely more women and children. So this is referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, but there were likely thousands more. And then Jesus provides food for all of them. And not just enough to ration it out so that they can have a little bit to fill their stomachs. Abundant blessing. Notice the emphasis on how much there was to satisfy them and how much was left over. We're told, verse 11, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. No rationing happening here. And when they had eaten their fill, so no one's going hungry, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left behind. So Jesus takes these five loaves and two fishes. He feeds everyone as much as they needed. And there's so much left over that they fill 12 baskets. The picture is Jesus as the one who brings blessing. Blessing that is overflowing with blessing. Abundant life. Jesus can do what no ordinary figure can do. And when the people see the sign that he had done, they're really impressed. They say, verse 14, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They knew that Moses in Deuteronomy 18 had promised that one day a great prophet would come to God's people who is even greater than Moses, and they think Jesus is this prophet. So Jesus has just done this incredible miracle, and the crowds seem to love him. They find it very impressive. But Jesus, in verse 15, makes clear that he does not trust them and that they misunderstand who he is. And the reality is that there is always a danger that we will misunderstand Jesus. Notice what happens, verse 15. We're told that Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus knows that they've come to him because they've seen the miracles he can bring, the healing that he's brought to so many. He knows that they're really impressed by him feeding them. And he knows that they see in him not just a source of physical healing, not just a source of food in their stomachs, but also a source of political liberation. They want to take him, make him king, kick out the Romans who they hated, and set everything right. They see Jesus as the answer to all of their problems. The one who can heal them. The one who can feed them. The one who can liberate them. 
And yet Jesus knows that their way is not His way. He is King. He is Prophet. He is the bread of life. He can feed everyone. He is the one who can heal all people. But He is not just a healer. Not just one who can bring food to the hungry. Not just the kind of king that they want. Their view of Him is too small. It's too limited. They see Him as a means to the ends of the things that they want. To food in their belly. Or healing for their sickness. Or political deliverance. But they fail to see Him for who He truly is. God in the flesh. The Holy One sent from the Father as Savior and King. And so Jesus does not entrust Himself to them. Friends, there is a great danger that we make Jesus who we want Jesus to be. That we make Him a means to the ends that we want. That we make Him a sort of cosmic wishing well that we look to when we need our bank balances met or our healing brought to us or that we treat Him as sort of a political totem that we use to advance the causes we already support. And the reality is that Jesus is no one's means to an end. And that to view Him merely as a means to the ends we want is not to see Him for who He truly is and is to fall short of true faith. And we'll see Jesus confront them about this in verse 26. But in the meantime, there's this very interesting scene where evening comes, the disciples go on a boat, Jesus doesn't go with them, verses 16-21, through and the storm comes up on the night, and they're stuck out on the lake, and Jesus comes walking by the sea, and He comes near the boat, and they're frightened, and then He says to them, it is I, or a more literal translation would be, I am. Do not be afraid. And then they take him into the boat and immediately he teleports the boat to the shore. Ordinary figures don't walk on water. Ordinary figures don't teleport boats like Jesus does here. Ordinary figures don't refer to themselves as I am. That was language of God's self-revelation in the Old Testament. And so we see in this walking on the water that Jesus is far more than the crowds understand Him to be. He is no mere healer. He is no mere food multiplier. He is no mere king. He is God in flesh. He is much more than they realize. And so, when He gets there, the crowds the next morning realize Jesus is gone and they go kind of crazy because they love Him. They think He's their meal ticket. They think He's their source of physical healing. They think He's their source of political liberation. They're going nuts about Him. So they all get into boats, travel back across the sea, seeking Jesus, we're told, verse 24. And when they find Him in verse 25, they're like, Rabbi, when did you come here? Why didn't you tell us you were going? We want to follow you. We love you. We're crazy about you. But Jesus, rather than driving up His poll numbers even higher, confronts them. Confronts their misunderstanding of Him. And calls them to something better. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He says, you are seeking Me because I filled your stomachs. You're not seeking Me because you realize who I truly am. That's what he's saying when he says, not because you saw signs. They've seen the literal signs. We're told, verse 2, 
They were following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Verse 14, we're told the people saw the sign that he had done. But though they saw the miracle of healing, though they saw the miracle of food, they didn't see what the signs pointed to. They didn't see that they were showing that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Messiah sent from the Father to be both King but also Savior. And so Jesus confronts their misunderstanding of Him and says, I'm not just a means to filling your stomach. You need to stop working for the food that perishes and instead work for the food that endures to eternal life, which I, the Son of Man, will give to you. Verse 27. He says, you don't just need me to fill your stomachs. You need to believe in me and so find life. And here we see the main call of this passage. Believe in Jesus, the bread of life, that you might have eternal life. And so they say to him, verse 28, they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? You say we shouldn't work for the food that perishes, but that we should work for the food that brings eternal life. Well, what work do we need to do? And Jesus makes clear, verse 29, that the work of God that is required is that you believe in Him whom He has sent. That you believe in the one sent by the Father. Jesus says that is the work. The work you need to do to receive eternal life is to believe in Him. And they get that that's what Jesus is saying. They realize that He's saying, if you want the bread of eternal life, you have to believe in Me. And then they have this, I find, just astonishing response where they stumble over Jesus, they refuse to believe in Him, and they begin to question Him. And notice the question. I find it kind of preposterous on its face given what has just happened the day before. They said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they say, well, if you're really sent from God, show us a sign. What has Jesus just done for them the day before? He fed all of them. He showed them a sign. But now they're saying, okay, if you're really from God, show us a sign and we'll believe. But you're no one like Moses, because Moses fed our fathers in the wilderness. Verse 31. And Jesus responds by saying, you need to believe in me. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So the life comes from God. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread that brings eternal life, Jesus says, is a person. It is He who comes down from heaven, sent from God to give life to the world. Jesus identifies Himself as the bread of life. He is the one who gives life to the world. And so they say, Sir, give us this bread always, verse 34. We want this eternal bread. And then Jesus says, if you want the eternal bread, well, it's me. You must eat and drink of me. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, who is the one who will never hunger again? The one who comes to him. Who is the one who will never thirst? The one who believes in Jesus. And so we see Jesus use the language of satisfying one's hunger and one's thirst and apply it to believing in Him. 
And this fits with what he's already told in verse 29. What is the work that God requires if we would have eternal life? That you believe in Him whom He has sent. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and you satisfy your hunger by Me. You satisfy your thirst by Me as you come to Me and as you believe in Me. But then He responds to them. He says, but your problem is that you have seen Me and yet do not believe. What does Jesus say is required? Belief. What does Jesus say satisfies hunger and thirst? Believing in Him the bread of life. What is their problem? What cuts them off from this eternal life? They do not believe, even though they've seen Him. And then Jesus goes on to give this really sobering message about why they don't believe in Him. And He says it's because the Father has not appointed them to believe. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So everyone the Father gives to the Son will never be cast out, will never fail to come to Him. And then He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So He says, I'm doing the Father's will. And He says, This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus says, The Father's will is that I would lose no one who He has given me to be saved. That I would save all who He has appointed to come to Me and that they will all be raised up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father, Jesus says, verse 40, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Who is it who will have eternal life and be raised on the last day? Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him. What is the work that God requires? that we believe in the Son whom He has sent. Who is it that will never hunger and never thirst? The one who comes and believes in Jesus, the bread of life. Do you see what he's emphasizing again and again and again? Saying salvation, eternal life comes through believing in Me. But he says your problem is that you don't believe in Me. And you don't believe in Me because the Father has not given you to Me. The Father has not drawn you to Me. And so you have not believed. But everyone who does believe, who is drawn by the Father, will live. And they stumble further over Him. They grumble about Him. We're told, verse 41, because He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They're like, He's not from heaven. We know this Jesus. He's Joseph's son. We know His parents. How can He say He's from heaven? Verse 42. And then Jesus, rather than turning the temperature down, keeps raising the temperature. He confronts them further, makes clear, you're not of God, and that's why you don't believe in me. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. This is a quote from the Old Testament about how all of God's people would be taught by him. But then he turns it against them. He says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. He says, if you've heard and learned from the Father, you'll come to me. And I'm the only one who has seen the Father and through whom you know the Father. He says, verse 46. And so if everyone who listens to the Father comes to Him and they're not coming to Him and believing, what does that say about them? That they don't listen to the Father. That they're not being given to the Son by the Father. That they are cut off from the life that God brings. Everyone who the Father draws believes in Jesus. But those who don't 
come to Jesus show that they do not love the Father who sent him. And so Jesus reiterates this call to believe. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 47, whoever believes has eternal life. He says, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. He said, the, the old bread, it was a miracle, yes, but it didn't keep them alive forever. But I, verse 51, am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So verse 47, who is it that has eternal life? Whoever believes. Who is it in verse 40? Who will be raised on the last day and has eternal life? The one who looks on the Son and believes. Who is it that will never thirst? The one who believes in Jesus. Verse 35, what is the work of God that is required if we would have the bread of eternal life, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Verse 29, Jesus says, believe in Me, believe in Me, believe in Me. And if you believe in Me as the Father draws you to Me, you will have eternal life. I'll raise you up on the last day. There is great and abundant blessing for all who believe. So believe in Him. Turn to Him. Trust in Him by faith. Don't stumble over Him. But we continue to see verse 52 that they continue to stumble over Jesus. Jesus says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then they disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They think he's talking about literal cannibalism, like he's going to start cutting off parts of his arm and feeding it to them for eternal life. And does Jesus lower the temperature? No. What does Jesus say? He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For My flesh is true food and My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me and I in Him. So what does Jesus say? says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. says, whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, is Jesus here saying that they need to cannibalize Him literally? I don't think that's what's happening. I think He's using the language of eating of His flesh and drinking of His blood to emphasize what He's already been emphasizing again and again and again, that we must believe in Him. Notice, for example, the similarities between verse 54 and verse 40. Verse 40, he says, This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So there's a condition. Everyone who does X will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Similar structure, verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The ends of the verses are identical, right? Whoever does this has eternal life, I'll raise him up on the last day. Whoever does this has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What I believe Jesus is saying through this feeding on my flesh and drinking of my blood is that we are to believe in him, the bread of life, but that this belief in him can't be some sort of standoffish belief. 
or say, yeah, I, I think maybe Jesus is who he says he is, or I'll, I'll sort of give him some allegiance. Maybe I'll follow him a little bit. Jesus says that belief in him involves eating of his flesh, drinking of his blood, embracing him in a way that there's no going back, there's no half measures, nothing short of coming to him and embracing him in faith will lead to life. He is the bread of life. Only by eating of him and drinking of him do we enter in to life. And as we see, he says, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Given how often Jesus has connected believing with the eternal life here, I think that's how we have to read this passage. But what happens? Do they embrace Jesus? Do they believe in him that they might have life? Do they eat of the bread of life? Do they drink of him? No. They stumble over him. And not just the crowds, even his own disciples. Verse 60-61. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They're not saying this is hard to understand. They're saying this is hard to accept. And so they take offense at him. And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, verse 61 says, you think this is offensive? Just wait till what's coming next. He says, do you take offense at this? My claim that you need to eat of me and drink of me if you would have life? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Jesus here is foreshadowing his cross. This ascending language in John, as we continue through, refers to his ascension by means of the cross. The crowds wanted to just make him king right away. But his path to exaltation involves him having his body broken on the tree, his blood poured out for our salvation. And so Jesus says, you think what I'm saying here is offensive? Well, wait till you see me hanging on a cross. That will be even more offensive. And if this causes you to stumble, you certainly won't be able to embrace me when you see me hanging there. You see, Jesus is much more than just a healer, much more than just one who can fill our stomachs with physical food, much more than even one who will bring righteousness and justice. He is God, but He is the Messiah who comes and who saves by breaking His own body on the cross, by shedding His own blood. And so unless we embrace Him, the bloodied, bruised Messiah, we cannot have life. We'll fall short. We'll stumble over Him. And the reality is that many in Jesus' day stumbled over Him. My prayer is that none of us would stumble over the offense of the cross, would stumble over the offense of Jesus, but that we would believe and so have life. We see this belief on display in a beautiful way through Peter. We see verse 66. After this, after Jesus said these things, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They turn away, and Jesus makes clear in verses 63 through 65 that this was because they had not been appointed to belief by God. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father, verse 65. So they who had not been appointed to life turn away from Jesus. They stumble over him, the stumbling stone. They refuse to eat of him or drink of him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the only one who brings us life. 
You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. He says, You are the only path to life. You are the One sent from the Father. You are the Holy One. You are the One in whom we have believed. And so in Peter, we see a picture of the faith that Jesus calls for here, of what it looks like to eat of Jesus and drink of Him in faith. He is the Holy One of God. To where else shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. And yet the passage ends on this sobering foreshadowing where Jesus says, did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He knew all along that Judas Iscariot would betray him, that his path would involve a cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, and yet he went anyway. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one who brings abundant life, not just rationed life, not just a little bit to get us through the day or the week. He brings abundant life. He can make five loaves into food for 5,000. But He brings us spiritual life through Himself. And it is only by believing in Him that we have that life. So may all of us believe in Him. May we trust in Him by faith. May we see Him as the One sent from God as the Savior of the world. And may we not fall short by either misunderstanding Jesus, treating Him as a means to an end, or by stumbling over the offense of His demands of us, the offense of His cross. And we come to Him in faith, feast on Him, drink of Him, and so find life. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank You for sending Jesus, the bread of life, that we might have life. We thank You that He went to the cross, that His body was broken for us, His blood was shed for us, that we might eat and drink of Him in faith and so find life. May all who are here this morning who know You be encouraged by Jesus' work. May those here who do not yet know Jesus fully and rightly, may they know Him. Would You keep everyone here, would You keep us from misunderstanding Jesus or stumbling over the offense of Jesus? Draw us to belief, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.